Daniel chapter 5. If you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, it's Pew Bible page 1312. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and the silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loose and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation, interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. And then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. The queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which are of the children of the captivity of Judah? whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I've even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should show and read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts, now, if thou cannot read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, sorry, if thou can 
read the writing and make the interpretation thereof known to me. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he would keep alive, and whom he would he set up and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appoints over it whomsoever he will. And thou hast son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven." And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and they put a chain of gold about his neck, and he made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again and we ask for your mercy as we study this chapter of Daniel. Give us wisdom, ears to hear, and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story of Babylon is drawing to a close here in Daniel chapter 5. The kingdom that was once the great Babylon, all the way back to its, its roots in Genesis with the Tower of Babel, the very first kingdom of Babylon, was one of great might and power, but it was one squarely rooted in paganism, idol worship, demon worship, and magic. We know from Daniel 1 and elsewhere in the scripture that God often will use pagan empires to bring judgment upon his people in the Old Testament, upon Israel, for its wickedness. Oftentimes this uh, baffles us a little bit because the pagan kingdoms are usually far worse than whatever God's people are doing at the time. But God is not concerned with the pagan empires of the world. 
He does not have a heart for them. He does not love them or care for them. He despises them. He hates them and he will judge them in his own time. But what God does care about greatly are his people, his church. And when his church falls into sin, lasciviousness and disregarding of God's commands, he brings swift judgment upon it, not to destroy it, but to sanctify it and bring it into a better place of obedience before God. And so God will use these wicked empires oftentimes to judge his people. We see this happening today as well. Oftentimes God will give his people what it is that they are flirting around with. In this case, as if you recall back at the beginning of Daniel when we were looking at uh, Babylon's sacking of Israel and bringing them into captivity to Babylon... Israel was delving into paganism, using God's temple for the worship of idols, the very thing that Babylon was doing every day and what we see Belshazzar doing here. But God would not have his people living that way. So in Daniel chapter 5, we arrive at the day of reckoning for Babylon. The time of Israel's judgment and sanctification was drawing to a close and it was time for Babylon to pay for its wickedness. Proverbs 16, it tells us that the Lord has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not go unpunished. Psalm 9 tells us that I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praises to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou settest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever, and he hath prepared his throne in judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. So in Daniel 5, we come to Belshazzar the king who historians say was not overly popular in the days of Babylon. He was not greatly liked. He was actually a caretaker of the kingdom. His father was actually the uh, proper king of Babylon, but apparently did not care for his, uh, his duty as king. And so he appointed Belshazzar to do this. It's sometimes thought that because of the, the language here in Daniel 5 that Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father because it calls him his father. But that term father actually just means ancestor or immediate descendant. Belshazzar was thought to actually, I believe, be Nebuchadnezzar's grandchild. So Nebuchadnezzar was his father, but it was his grandfather. A quick look at history here is necessary uh, to look at what actually happened here. A lot of historians criticize Daniel for things like I just said, calling Nebuchadnezzar his father, but the, the word means ancestor, or as we often hear in the scriptures where a prophet will say, as your fathers have done, it doesn't literally mean your fathers, it means your patriarchs, those that came before you. Also, there is some confusion here because at the end of the chapter, it mentions a man named Darius taking over the kingdom. 
And in a lot of history books, there is no mention of a Darius. It was Cyrus who actually conquered Babylon. And so a lot of people are confused about that, but there is uh, plenty of understanding as to why it referenced a Darius. There was actually a king who ruled alongside of Cyrus at that time over the area of Babylon and meets the qualifications of those things. He went by a different name in some history books, uh, but we know that the scriptures do not lie. They do not deceive. They speak the truth. And so this man Darius did exist. He, he likely was this um, Cyaxarus, was actually the name of the king in history books, but he co-ruled the empire with Cyrus for a time before Cyrus consolidated his power and overthrew this Cyaxarus or uh, Darius, as he's called in the book of Daniel. But regardless of these facts and debates as to his identity and the role he played in the story, it is a historical, well-known story of the fall of Babylon under the empire of the Medes and the Persians described here in this chapter. The name Belshazzar, the king at this time, means Bel protects the king. Bel, of course, was the false god that they worshipped. Um, what's of interesting note, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but Daniel's name that he was given by Nebuchadnezzar was Belteshazzar, which is one or two letters away from being Belshazzar. And it's actually thought that Daniel might actually have been named Belshazzar, and that in Daniel's writing of this passage that he actually added and changed some of the names that the king had given to them because they were pagan names that praised the gods of the Babylonians. And so Daniel actually altered and added some letters to it so that it wouldn't make any sense because he didn't want to write praises to false gods. Another thing that lends us to think that Daniel might actually have been named Belshazzar, the same name as the king, was that Nebuchadnezzar, if you recall in the previous chapters, when he would converse with Daniel, he didn't call him Daniel. He called him Belteshazzar. But here in this chapter, when the king brings Daniel in, he calls him Daniel throughout the exchange, likely because Daniel had his name. And as a king, you probably wouldn't want to be conversing with some underling that has the same name as you. So you're going to call him his Hebrew name so that you're not embarrassing yourself or demeaning yourself. What is fascinating, though, with this is that uh, the king's name and also Daniel's given name here by Babylon is a praise of Bel, a praise of this false god, whereas the name Daniel means that the True God is my judge. That's what the name Daniel means. And so here, even in the names and their meanings themselves, you see a contrast between the God of Israel and the gods of Babylon coming together, not only with great conflict here with Daniel proclaiming the judgment of the one true God upon him and his false gods, but even their names themselves clash the two gods together. The pitting of Bel versus the one true God not only plays out symbolically, but literally as God brings swift judgment upon the pagan worship and prideful arrogance of Belshazzar and the kingdom of Babylon. In verse 5 and in Daniel 5, we see it says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand... I'm sorry, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands... Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem 
that his kings, his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. And they brought the golden vessels out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and they drank from them. They drank wine, verse 4, and praised the gods of gold, silver, brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Despite his knowledge of the events during the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, because Daniel says, you know of these things that happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you know what God did to your fathers before you for their pride and their arrogance and not worshiping the one true God. Yet you knowing this still blaspheme the name of God by not only having some sort of revelrous, idolatrous feast, but bringing the implements, the goblets from the temple of the house of God to drink out of them. According to some historical texts, the Medes and the Persians were actually besieging Babylon during this feast. And you say, well, why would he have a feast in the midst of a siege? Well, I want you to picture Babylon the way that the history books describe Babylon at this time. It was, under Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest empires in the world. Under Belshazzar, it had lost some of its glory, but it was still, much like America is today, a waning empire or a waxing, whichever one, a failing empire. Some of its old glory still there, but moving quickly into paganism. It's said that Babylon at that time had 20 years of food within its walls. It could withstand a siege for up to 20 years with never having to open its gates. Not only did it have an outer wall, but it had multiple layers of walls and gates that were impregnable. Apparently at this time, the Medes and the Persians had come up against Babylon and had been beaten back repeatedly. They could not break through the fortifications of Babylon. It was at this time that Cyrus and Darius came up with a plan to conquer Babylon. You see, the Euphrates River was flowed intentionally. They built Babylon around the Euphrates River so that they could bring in ships and goods and merchants into the city of Babylon. But the Euphrates River just added more uh, defenses to Babylon because it was a deep and mighty river. You couldn't wade it. You couldn't cross it. It was almost acting like a natural moat in addition to the walls of Babylon. And so Cyrus and apparently Darius at this time came up with a plan that if they were to divert the rivers of the, the river water of the Euphrates away by digging a canal into a lake that had been blocked off to keep the level of the Euphrates River high, if they were to dig out that canal and, and divert the, the waters of the Euphrates away, that it would drop the water level to a degree that in the night they could cross over and enter through the aqueducts and the passages and the sewer systems under the walls of Babylon into the inner gates and open them themselves for the rest of the army to come through. At that time, the Medes and the Persians, they had a special forces unit called the Immortals that were well known and uh, much feared among the nations. And it's thought that the Immortals were the ones that Cyrus and Darius decided to send in the night after they had drained down this water to infiltrate under the walls of Babylon. And so in order to bring comfort to Babylon and for this plan to work, Cyrus and Darius feigned a retreat away from the walls of Babylon, according to some historians. 
And this was the cause of the feast. Belshazzar looked out and he saw the armies of the Medes and the Persians pulling away, giving up on this hopeless attempt to conquer this great city of Babylon. And so, in his pride and his foolishness and arrogance, he called together his kings and his princes and his concubines and his wives and to praise their gods for victory over the Medes and the Persians. In this feast, Belshazzar orders the golden and the silver relics from the sacking of the temple of God to be brought to the feast. Of course, this came from the sacking of Jerusalem when Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity. According to the text in Daniel and other historical writings like Josephus, it says that specifically Belshazzar himself drank from these sacred implements from the temple of God and that they praised the gold and the silver gods that uh, ancient Sumerian and Mesopotamian texts uh, taught, which Belshazzar would have been very familiar with, that there were these ancient deities that taught them the ways of gold and silver and how to make uh, jewelry and how to fashion goblets and bowls out of gold and silver. The Mesopotamian, Sumerian, Babylonian Heritage was that these false gods of theirs had taught them how to do these things. And so this is what they were praising. They weren't just praising a golden cup. They were praising these gods of gold and silver that had taught them these ways of riches and glory. Obviously false gods, but they praised them nonetheless. And their idolatry and their pride was unmatched. And verse 5, it says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall. Now just imagine that for a moment. You're Belshazzar, you're in this feast, you think you've had victory over your enemies, you're, you're becoming drunk with wine, you're using the implements of these, this Jewish God's temple which you've conquered, and all of a sudden, the hand of some divine being reaches down and begins to write on the walls of your palace, which is impregnable to the enemy, the most safest place in his kingdom, the place where he feels the most comfortable. And it says that the king's countenance was changed in verse 6, and his thoughts troubled him, and his knees smote one against another. He was filled with fear, and his rulers, it says, were astonished, and they called in the wise men of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar would always go to back in the day. They're magicians and they're priests of these false gods that they worship. And they were unable to tell him what it meant. It says in verse 9 that the king Belshazzar was greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him because they could not make known to him the interpretation thereof. The king's heart was troubled. And it says in verse 10 that the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house and the queen spoke and told him of this man, Daniel. Now, the queen here is often thought to be his mother because it was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter's son that is thought to be who Belshazzar was. And so this was likely Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, Belshazzar's mother, who was the queen of Babylon at the time. She would have been more intimately familiar with what went down with Nebuchadnezzar. And remember Daniel. And so she comes in and gives her motherly wisdom to Belshazzar and says, You know, son, in the days of your fathers, Nebuchadnezzar, there was a man who the spirit of the gods dwelt in. And he 
could possibly shed some light on this. Which makes us think that even though Daniel was the head of the magicians under Nebuchadnezzar, he had kind of been forgotten in the new reign of Belshazzar. Obviously, he would not have been worshipping the pagan gods as the other sorcerers and magicians would. And so likely when Belshazzar took over, he probably just kind of squeezed them out of the palace counselors. And so Daniel was off in some corner of the kingdom worshipping God in peace. And so the queen tells Belshazzar to bring Daniel in, and so the king summons Daniel. In verse 13, he says, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, and the king my father brought out of Jewry? I've heard that the spirits of the gods are in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. My wise men and astrologers could not show me the interpretation. Verse 16, I've heard that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. And he promises Daniel, he says, look, if you can interpret this for me, he says, I'll clothe you in scarlet, I'll give you a chain of gold, and I'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel tells him, he says, you can keep your gifts to yourself. I don't want any of that, but I will tell you the interpretation of the writing on the wall. And he reminds Belshazzar, verse 18, of Nebuchadnezzar's majesty, glory, and honor. That all the peoples and the nations and the languages trembled and feared before him. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Now to be deposed from a throne, someone has to remove you from that position. Oftentimes this happens in like some coup d'etat or civil war, you know, men deposing men. But Daniel here tells him, no, you, your, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, was deposed by Almighty God. Because his throne was given to him by God, just as yours was, and God deposed him because of pride. And now, verse 22, thou, his son Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart. Though thou knewest all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, they have brought the vessels of, of his house before thee. And you and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood and stone, which don't see, which don't hear and don't know. But there is a God who holds your breath in his hands and whose are all of your ways and him you did not glorify. It says, Belshazzar, you worship these gods that don't hear, don't see, don't know. Yet the God who gives you your breath, who's given you this throne and who are all of your ways, who ordains your steps and your paths, turns your heart in whatsoever way he wishes. This God you didn't praise, but just like Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your heart was lifted up in pride. We're told in Acts 17 that when Paul was speaking with the pagan Greeks, he reminded them that God holds in his hands their life and breath and all things and ordains the nations and their boundaries of habitations when they live, when they die, and when they rule and reign. But so often men lift themselves up against the God who holds their breath in his hands. They use holy implements to blaspheme his name. And we think this is a pretty 
egregious sin, and it was, you know, the taking of God's implements out of the temple and using them uh, to worship these false gods and uh, fill themselves full of revelry. But we often do this same very thing. You see, God tells us that he is the father of lights in whom all good things come. All good and good, uh, good and glorious gifts come down from the father of lights in whom is no shadow of turning, James tells us. Our life and health and strength, our tongue, James reminds us, is a gift of God. And with it, we praise God and we curse men. And James tells us these things should not be. See, our lives are not our own. Our bodies are not our own. The money, the homes, the jobs, everything that we have is not our own. They are gifts of Almighty God. He's given us these things and they're good and they're holy gifts. And what do we do? Oftentimes we use these good and holy things to blaspheme his name, to violate his law. And when we sin, it is the same type of sin. It's the sin of rebellion and pride. It might not be as dramatic as desecrating uh, a holy temple's implements or coming in and vandalizing the church, which would be an egregious sin, but it is a sin nonetheless and a, a sin of the same vein, a sin of the same type. Because we use the strength and the life, the holy things that God has given to us, and we use them to profane his name by living perversely in the face of Almighty God. Verse 24, Daniel tells him, he says, because of this, because you've lifted up yourself, then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written, many, many to kill you, Farson. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it, to kill thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. What a sobering interpretation. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. God's holy scales of justice, Belshazzar and his kingdom was weighed in that balance and found wanting. What a terrifying thing. But nonetheless, we too when weighed in the balances of God's holy scales of justice, are found wanting. The only thing that tips the scales in our favor is the blood of Christ. It is only Christ that is able to rectify those scales of justice before God. But Belshazzar was not a follower of the Lord. He did not have the mercy and the grace of Christ upon him. And he was found wanting in the scales of God's justice. Belshazzar, hearing this harbinger of doom from Daniel, didn't grow angry at Daniel. He followed through with his promise. It says in verse 29 that he clothed Daniel with scarlet and he put a chain of gold about his neck and he made a proclamation making him the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. As this festival was happening, Cyrus and... Darius were draining the Euphrates River. The immortals were wading silently through the waters, infiltrating under the walls of Babylon, crawling through the sewers and the aqueducts and making their way through the city. According to some history books, as soon 
as Belshazzar had made this proclamation, while the hand was on the wall, while Daniel was standing there telling him these things, the immortals were right outside the palace gate. And as soon as Belshazzar had made this proclamation, the doors of the palace flung open and the soldiers of the Medes and the Persians entered in and Belshazzar was slain in his resistance. It's recorded in some places by Cyrus that Babylon fell with zero resistance at all. Obviously, there was some very minor resistance because Belshazzar was slain, but there was no war to speak of, no battle that was fought and won. They infiltrated and the judgment of God, which was spoken of through Daniel and the handwriting on the wall, was brought about instantly and Belshazzar's life was taken from him. So in conclusion, there's a few takeaways here for us to remember and keep before our minds. First is that God will always bring judgment upon the wicked. It may not happen when and how we desire it, but it, it will happen. God's judgment will always fall upon the wicked swiftly and powerfully. Oftentimes, God will tarry with the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, and he uses them for his own means and his own purposes. Babylon ruled mightily for a very long time and was extremely wicked and pagan, and God tarried purposefully to use them as a tool to sanctify Israel. But their judgment came nonetheless, and their memories are obliterated from history. There's nothing but, I think uh, Saddam Hussein actually rebuilt one of the gates of Babylon because he, he looked greatly back on Nebuchadnezzar and the, the reign of Babylon, but outside of a remanufactured gate, Babylon is lost to the dust of the desert. Secondly, the Lord will protect his people. Despite the fall of Jerusalem, them being led into captivity, and then here, the fall of Babylon, Israel was not destroyed. As a matter of fact, the time of their captivity was drawing to a close, and it was under the reign of Cyrus that he put forth the decree to send Israel out of captivity back home to the Holy Land. So while the Lord uses pagan empires of Babylon to judge Israel, he delivered his people still and brought the, the destruction of the kingdom of Babylon. In the same way, we should not lose heart today when we see wicked rulers over us or wicked men prospering because God uses these things to sanctify his people. And God will judge them swiftly. There's nothing happening in this world today that God is not sovereign over. Third, yet again, as last week, God detests pride. Belshazzar's fall here and the fall of Babylon was because of pride. Daniel said Nebuchadnezzar was deposed because of pride. And you, Belshazzar, lifted up your heart in arrogance against God. God judges swiftly the arrogant and the proud heart. There is no room for pride and arrogance in the heart of a Christian. If you are arrogant, then you do not understand God, and you most certainly do not understand yourself. So if you did, you would understand your place before God. Romans 12 reminds us, and I'm going to close with reading these three verses out of Romans 12. For as I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, 
So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, Father, that you rule and reign, that you have a rod of iron that you bring down upon the wicked nations and the heathen. You blot them out of history and of remembrance, Lord. No matter how mighty they are, if they oppose you, Lord, you destroy them in time and history. We thank you, Lord, for that great testimony and the great testimony of your faithfulness to your people that despite captivity, despite rough times and difficult seas, Father, that you always bring us out of those things and you use those things for our sanctification and for our ultimate glorification. Father, we thank you for your mercy towards us. Give us guidance and peace as we live in a world that oftentimes resembles Babylon, worships pagan gods, and chases after pride and arrogance. Father, I pray that we would flee from those things, that you would give us a heart of humbleness and a heart of gratefulness before you, that we would love you, that we would love one another, that we would carry one another's burdens, and that our hearts would not be lifted up in pride. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name.